Welcome back to Generations of X, the podcast where we discuss the past, present, and future of all things X-Men. I'm your co-host, the adjectiveless Flinkman. And I am your other co-host, the uncanny Dayspring. Last week, we aired part one of our interview with the incredible Larry Houston, who served as storyboard artist and co-director of Pride of the X-Men back in the late 1980s. We discussed how Larry shattered a glass ceiling to become the first African-American storyboard artist on a Saturday morning cartoon, as well as a wide range of topics pertaining to the Pride of the X-Men pilot, such as how the cast of characters was selected, what it was like working with Stan Lee, and even whether or not a certain red-haired fire goddess could have been subbed out for Dazzler. Scandalous stuff, folks. If you haven't listened, you should stop what you're doing right now. Go check it out. But for all the love this podcast has for Pride of the X-Men, it pales in comparison to our love for the iconic 1990s X-Men animated series where Larry served as both producer and director as well. So with all that being said, let's dive right into part two of our interview with Larry Houston covering X-Men the Animated Series. Enjoy. What is it like being able to work on, on the X-Men animated series to tell Stan Lee no, to, to have to write about these characters objectively. How do you, fi- did you find it difficult switching hats from being a fan to being a professional? I, I couldn't do it. I, uh, in the beginning of my career, I was a kid in the candy store. I couldn't believe I was getting paid <laughs> to draw these characters. Yeah. Now that would have been like, in, I got into Marvel about 81. So I was just, I mean, Stan was like two doors from my office. It was right down. The, I'm, I'm, oh. I could talk to him every day, which I Wait. did. Wait, did you just go into his office and you're like, what's up, Stan? Like, I could do that sometimes, yeah, but I tried to make a, you know, do it with a reason. Yeah. <laughs> and how was but, he yeah. like as a co-worker being that close? How was he like? I tell people, because there's so many different stories. Um, Stan is, think about three characters. Think about Peter Parker, Spider-Man, J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> if you're talking to him, and he's talking like I'm talking right now, you're getting Peter Parker, yeah. just regular guy talking about not, you know, normal stuff. Then there's times when he becomes Spider-Man where literally he was jumping on tables, this little <laughs> guy jumping on tables. This is how you put Spider-Man. He has to have the fingers like this and that's how he attaches to the wall. And you know, I'm 25 years old watching this guy jump on tables and stuff. <laughs> I mean, he was Spider-Man and and the third person, J. Jonah Jameson, you know, he would, if he came to work and he looked grouchy for whatever reason, you avoided him. Say, okay, the J. Jonah Jameson is in. Let's not bother him today until, until you can see Peter Parker come out. So he was all three of those characters. And it's, it's what I tell people. That's why he could write Spider-Man so well, because all three characters were in his head. They were yeah. parts of him. There are his personalities coming out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so, so jumping back to, to the X-Men show specifically, one of the most um, you know, iconic pieces of the show is certainly the, the opening titles, um, which you played a huge hand in developing. Um, you know, of course, I love the version we got. Everybody loves the version we got. But there's a first draft storyboard in the Lee Wald's book, which you drew. <laughs> yeah. 
that yes. sort of skips over the character intros. It jumps right into the action. It has Magneto and Mojo and Dark Phoenix and Sinister. <laughs> I I love it. Like seeing that storyboard, I was like, this is epic. Um, <laughs> but why do you think that version was rejected? And do you would you have preferred it to to what we got? Uh, no, because well, see what it was was when they gave me they I had the job of drawing the, the opening storyboards, and so I just let my fanboy go crazy. Yeah. I just started drawing like crazy, okay, yeah. and trying to weave it together into a um, a visual narrative. But I knew I knew I was overdrawing. I didn't care. I just kept drawing, and I figured, okay, we'll I'll draw out everything that's in my head. And then we'll just naturally just cut it back. That yeah. that's pretty much what happens in our business all the time. Yeah. And so I figured it's easier to have too much and cut it down than have not enough and you got to make up new stuff. Right. And so that's what I came from. I, I just kind of drew like crazy. Well, those boards, those boards were 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 beautiful. I I, I loved that that idea as so a fanboy. You know, as an existing fanboy, I loved I loved that idea. So um, once the decision was made to have those opening titles be more lead character focus did did you actually get to design uh the character specific logos to uh introduce them yep actually the story behind that is that um um this is back when technology was fax machines okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we didn't have logos and so we we called marvel new york say okay we need logos for these characters and i think three or four of them they, they had no logos and so I had to design it, those logos on the computer behind me. Not that one, but one, <laughs> big, one like that a long time ago. I had to design logos uh, and make them large enough so that we could ship it overseas and then they could put it into the show. Oh. But I had I designed them myself. Awesome. They yeah, look great. Well, they look great. I love all of them. Oh, yeah, thanks. well, Jubilee, Jean Grey, they, Professor X wouldn't have had their own logos. I don't know if Professor X, but definitely Jean and Jubilee wouldn't have had him. We asked them for those, you know, we wanted to use all the official logos. And so we got some through the the fax machines. And then we had to take them and clean them up because there were all this dot all these dots on it. Yeah. So we had to have an artist go through and clean it up. Uh, but they literally had nothing for Rogue, nothing for Jean Grey, you know, it's like and I got a deadline. It's like I gotta get it, I gotta get it production, you know. So it's like I necessity made me draw it. I, yeah. did. I had no choice. Yeah, they were beautiful. And speaking of epic and, and drawing, I think the Jim Lee costumes were, they were brand new at the time, obviously. And they were just so iconic. You made them iconic. And, and why do you think they were the right fit for the show in retrospect? In retrospect, we we all believed, the, the three of us, believed that we should go at what what was current at the time. And so we took the Jim Lee drawings, but we had to simplify it for animation. So we kind of kept his style, but we had to make it animation friendly. Mm. And so the, 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 the other, but there's another story behind that in that about that time is when um, Jim Lee and the rest of them left Marvel to go start image. Yeah. yeah. And Marvel's, I don't, you know, we we're, we're in production out of nowhere. Uh, Marvel says, well, you can't use those Jim Lee designs. We're going, what? We, we're in production. And so they didn't <laughs> want to give him any additional publicity. And it really got really serious. And so I think it was Will said, okay, you don't want 
Jim Lee's design, I'll give you something else. And so he took all the whole lineup and made it like Scooby-Doo. Yes. Said, Here. Yeah, yeah. That. That's actually something the the Leewalds mentioned to us. And I, what did you did you get to see those? What did they What did they look like? How bad were they? They were bad. <laughs> I think once a, they were bad. It was just just imagine Scooby-Doo. You know, Cyclops, Scooby-Doo, the whole nine yards, and we just we freaked them out. And we did that on purpose. And then they said, fine, they backed off. Yeah. Because we say, okay, this is what it's going to look like. And we have no time left. If you're going to change it, we got to do it now. Yeah. yeah. So the pre- we put a lot of pressure on them to make them back off. But, well, you know, Cyclops is supposed to be tall and thin. So maybe Shaggy isn't such a terrible <laughs> reference for him. Uh, and you got Daphne, who's a redhead right there. Yes. It's right there. there. It's right there. Maybe yeah. it wasn't so bad. So aside from the Jim Lee outfits, of course, there there's morph in the in the pilot episodes. It's kind of you know it's kind of clear that his head. I mean, I, we know he's in an adaptation of the Changeling, so his head is clearly you know a helmetless uh, Changeling from the Marvel Handbook. But yeah, who decided to put him in like the standard X Men uniform versus like that awesome purple headpiece he's he's known for? We always figured that that was the best choice for him was to make him put him in an X-Men outfit and the, the backstory behind Morph in the original books it was uh, Thunderbird I think who gets yeah. killed mm-hmm. in the and that would have yeah. been that would have been Thunderbird instead of Morph in the show but you know we we said wait a minute we're going to introduce the first superhero Native American and kill him in the first episode not we a said, great look not a no, good idea no, 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 no not a good idea and, and so we we went back and that's when we found, you know, Changeling. And then we used his image, but calling him Morph. I do have one one more little little design <laughs> question here, because this okay. is this question has sort of divided the the X-Men fandom since, <laughs> since 1992. Storm's costume on the show. Is it super shiny black or is it white with shadows? The way I always saw it was it's shiny. The way I saw it, when we did the um, Pride of the X Men, we used the black costume. Yeah, yeah. And but we had production problems that um, overseas that I had to call retakes on. Whereas when you get the character in a black costume, uh, she in a in a night sky, she she disappears. Mm-hmm. And I had to add like a glow or something around her so that she could you could see her against the background. So fast forward when we did the um, the other series, I gave her the white costume because it works great against a dark sky. Yeah, and I always thought the um, the the, um, the the mark we put here was supposed to be like a shine, a reflection shine. So it was, uh, I guess you could say, it's more of the shine. Yeah. What did you describe? How did you describe it? So I I think when, as it was like a Jim Lee has said that when he originally designed it it was it was black and anything white on it was just like a highlight from the light it was like patent leather black and then so i always prior to to him saying that i always saw it as white my action figure of it as a kid was white i think it looks yeah. better yeah. in in white there's two camps it's it's black or it's white and i was curious from you know the, the man who brought it to the screen <laughs> from your perspective what what color it was but to me it's white 
I, yeah. I, it's white. It looks better yeah. that way on all the action figures and all the statues. It's white. I, I totally yeah. agree and with you. And the Lee Walds yeah. said, they said white as well. And Storm just looks so regal in white. Yeah, it I works mean, for It her. goes great right there. And it, yeah, for, like, was... for me, for production-wise, it works great when she's in the sky doing her thing. You, yeah. She pops against the background. Jumping forward a little bit, of all the the guest characters, and there were there were many, and there were many great ones on the show. Was there anyone you really wanted that you had to fight to have included as as the resident fanboy of the crew? I remember trying to put a cameo Spider Man in, into the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, and I I put him into as like a cameo in a in a shot, and it got shot down. I said I couldn't do it. Yeah, why? And I you know I think. In retrospect, I think now it probably had to do with contracts because they didn't want Marvel didn't want to give give ownership of certain characters to uh, Saban, which was the production company. Oh, right. yeah. But Fair. but, you know, it's a cameo. It's not he's not part of the show. But anyway, that we got was, the we got him shooting the web sling in Phoenix. In yes. the Phoenix saga. Yeah, it snuck him in. <laughs> but wait. So how could the X-Men animated was was that the reason why the X-Men animated team was able to go to Spider-Man? Because that it was, was Saban the, going to you guys or to, to Marvel or they hit they wrote contracts. They got it an agreement so that Ma, the contracts that, that they wrote were written in such a way that Saban didn't have own it. He, he didn't possess those characters. So I guess once that happened, that could that could occur because that was an official you know, peer-to-peer group, we agree to do this. But my thing was just a cameo. And, um, you know, all my cameos, I just, I never asked permission. I just did it. I just, (laughs) Yeah, well, well, I appreciate that because, you know, one such cameo uh, in the series earlier, I think it was season two, uh, was my girl Dazzler, who was uh, <laughs> hanging out in the Mojoverse with Longshot. But, but then when we, we got her, when she officially debuted later in Dark Phoenix, a year or two later, she looked, uh, she was colored totally different. Why, why was that? I don't have a clue right now. <laughs> <laughs> Dazzler's not top of mind? Oh. No, no, no. It's the fact that it, there's, in between from when you, the first time we used it and the second in in almost all cases, I never changed whatever colors were used before. That's what we use. I don't know why that character was modified because to me it, it should have been the same colors as before. Yeah. yeah. So 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 to you that is a hundred percent Dazzler in the Mojoverse. That that is her. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So Perfect. so you drafted her character model for that background episode, and then it was used again. That model. For Dark Phoenix, and for whatever reason, the colors were just off. But did you only have right. to draft her then, and then she was just reused later? Yeah, basically, back then we didn't have we didn't have a budget. <laughs> we were like a garage <laughs> band. We did we weren't we didn't have a lot of money to work with. So, like when in the Mojo universe, we needed to design some characters to be with Mojo. Yeah. So I told us that okay, make this Dazzler because I can use her later on in another show. Yeah. And so that was my justification was to do stuff in one show that I could repurpose someplace else. Yeah. And so um, that that's where that came from. It's like, I, I didn't have a lot of money to work with and we were on like this kind of a um, timetable. Right, right. So, well, 
you know, Dazzler aside, I, I definitely do have to give you props for some of those background character choices. I mean, you wound up being uh, bringing, you know, A-listers like Black Panther and Deadpool to to life for, for the very first time. And that's that's definitely got to be like some sort of nerd badge of honor. Um, <laughs> did you have just like any sort of feeling about them or you just worked in the characters you liked? I It's more of the latter. I worked in the characters I liked. And also it's kind of like when I, I got... When I'm going through the storyboards, um, um, the it's about I had to go through 300 pages of artwork every week, and I had Dang. to fix, I had to correct. Like if someone didn't do something right, I had to fix it. And um, as I go through the boards, if I feel that there's a there's a good spot for a cameo here, that's when I put it in. Yeah, and it's kind of organic to whatever the show is about um but it was like i had to make decisions like this yeah to make it to make it work well i i have to say something that i really appreciate about all of the cameos you snuck in is of course i was i was young at the time um and we didn't have things like marvel unlimited where i could just read all of the x-men comics that i wanted so it's been a lot of fun as an adult with so much more knowledge to go back and, and, and watch these episodes and be like, Oh, I know who that is now. Like, Oh, I can't believe he worked that in like that. Like Bravo to well, you. Like that was, that was Dr. Strange well at Gene and Scott's wedding, Mary Jane at the ski lodge. It's yes. Clear. Like, Oh my goodness. And it's, it's stuff we, we missed and it's there. And thank you for those Easter eggs. It's such a joy uh, now to rewatch the animated series with those Easter eggs. No, I, I, I deliberately, what, my rule that I gave myself was the cameos are for the fans, for you guys. Yeah. But I needed to put the cameos into a sh into the show so that a person who had no knowledge of Marvel at all, if they saw it, it would be like a table or chair or something. They wouldn't notice it. It wouldn't interfere with the original story. But if you're a fan, you, you spot it. It's very exciting to see that. I put those cameos in always for the fans, for you guys. Oh, well, thank well, it you. It lot. just it means a lot. It means a lot. And it, it definitely planted those little things like that planted a seed that this is a much larger universe. It made us a very crazy neurotic <laughs> fanboys that we are today. And, and, and I'm prefacing that for my next question, because I have the most neurotic fan question ever. And I'm so sorry to even have to ask this, but Miss Jean Grey had blue eyes throughout the entire series but she had her green eyes at the end of the Dark Phoenix when she tells Scott that he has to do it. I'm curious, was that purposely done from, from a production direction standpoint that you just highlighted those green eyes? Yes. <laughs> yes. She was a different character. She was a different character then. So I had to, you know, that was just a little, I'm, I'm impressed that you saw that. Oh, of course you did. picked up on that. Yeah. Good. Like one one person on this planet would, would catch that. It, it's day spring for sure. <laughs> so you just sat yeah. down, you're like, no, in this moment, she needs to have those eyes because it's her defining moment. This is where she's a different character. Yes. Yeah. So that that's why that was done. You know, it took a I'm, I'm so, I was impressed that I think recently people found, I think it was the Nightcrawler where they found um, the cameos I put into it because they had uh, Mary Jane, they had yeah. Leah, and then Doctor Strange. Right there in the background. But they're in the background. Yeah, if you if you look, they're there. The Marvel but, Ski Lodge. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, you know, if you look at the if you look at the shot, 
it's just a you know camera pans over to the characters and so regular people would just look at it like ah oh, just people standing around yeah but fans would say they they knew who those characters were yeah yeah and so yeah. that's what that's that's the kind of things i would do to try and um put my you know easter eggs here and there well we love it we love it um so there were a lot of characters in and out of the animated series and some of them um, weren't easy to animate. I, I know specifically that Mr. Sinister was like legendarily hard to animate. <laughs> yes. uh, was yeah. there anyone else you, you struggled with from that perspective? Um, let's see. Characters that had very complex costumes. I'm trying to think there was, there were several. Um, uh, there were some with um, the uh, Proud Boys. Pro no, oh, the, 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 nasty, the boys. nasty Boys. Nasty Boys, that's the one. Not the real yeah. life supervillains, the Proud Boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, apocalypse to a two degree. Um, no, what, what I, what my thing, what I tried to do, I tried to make sure the costumes matched the books as much as possible. Yeah. But when they got really complicated, what I would do is I just, I wouldn't let the characters, I wouldn't try and do full animation. Yeah. You'd see the character and he um, might do one, a couple of gestures or maybe yeah. just a head turn so that when the show went overseas, this is a production trick that I learned from watching anime shows. You get a great shot. You see the character delivers dialogue, but then you just have them do one piece of animation so that, the, the animators are not animating everything like a Disney yeah. show. It was just, I, I tried to use the, um, use their animation skills strategically on certain shots where, okay, okay, they got to fight, so have at it. Yeah. But for most of the show, I tried to um, not over animate if it, if it was, if I could help it. If you, if you look over, except for the first, maybe, um, first two or three episodes, um, you'll see that the X-Men never walk. I always cut. Okay, let's go. Then the next thing you see is the jet exhaust. Yeah. Boom, and they're, they're going somewhere. But I tried never to do walking because it's a lot of work for the animators. It eats up footage that I could use that time someplace else. Yeah, I was going to um, say, I think that that works in your favor in a lot of instances. Like, like you said, with skipping the you know, the walking and talking and getting right to, to the action sort of, you know, gave it that more kinetic feel. Sinister was allowed to be creepy in the shadows. And, you know, I just actually just watched this episode the other night of Apocalypse's first appearance. And you're right, he he kind of is almost Shakespearean and that he just sort of stands there and, and monologues his evil monologue and moves his <laughs> arms a little bit. And I, it, I think in all of those situations, it it really worked in your favor. Those were, those were good decisions. It's, it's, it's definitely better than just making do with what you can. It was, you, you did made good out of those circumstances for sure. Oh, well, thank you. It's, um, and part of that comes from watching anime shows where sometimes it's very limited. I mean, you have characters talking, they don't move. They, they yeah. deliver lines of dialogue and the camera's panning up pan left pan right, you know, that kind of trick. And at filmation, when I, was there, they were doing kind of the same thing where you'd have repeat animation, repeat uh, headshots, because so so they could keep the budget 
under certain numbers to keep the work here in the States. My training from filmation and also watching the anime, I was able to, I, as, let's see, that would have been um, 11 years of training of learning so that when I got to do the X-Men, I was able to apply all that knowledge yeah. to the show and to make the show work on a, on the budget we had. I mean, I think um, like Batman, uh, Bruce Timm's Batman, I think he had double the time, yeah. he had double the budget. Um, we didn't, <laughs> we had to but, make, we had to make do it what we had. But that gave you all the tools to deliver really great animation, really great dramatic moments and things that worked in your favor. So you made really informed decisions with, with the limited budget you had. <laughs> but I do need yeah. to ask, though, as a sidebar, if you were at Filmation, did you work on He-Man and She-Ra? I worked, no, I worked on, um, let's see, Tarzan, Lone Ranger, Flash Gordon, Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon. Okay, okay. Because yeah. I, I love my Shira and He-Man, and I do love those that you were talking about, too. Yeah, no, I, the, the other one was Black Star and somebody else. But I did work on He-Man, but I did, do you remember the, um, the toys that you buy? Yeah. The figures oh. and there was a comic book in the back. Yeah. Yeah. I drew those. Oh, re really? Yeah. I did not know that. I didn't know that. Dude, you're yeah. like, you've made our childhood. <laughs> like, not that's only has really... animated, but the He-Man figures. That's yeah, really look, interesting. If you look on some of the, some of the, um, the, the little comic book things, um, um, it was ink, it was drawn by me and inked by Bruce Tim. This is back when we were just starting. We know that their X-Men animated was compared to Batman animated quite a bit. Did you and right. Bruce ever talk, like just have a like a meeting or a hangout and you're like, so we're on these two shows that are being compared <laughs> to each other and what that was like? We, well, we worked together at Filmation. That's how we all start. That's how I met him. We were all working on Lone Ranger. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was doing storyboards. He was doing... Um, props and backgrounds with he was working with um russ heath and um a lot of the a lot of the directors a lot of us started at filmation we after that we kind of like went out into the industry um and we we started other shows uh, i'm trying to think uh there's another guy named frank parr yeah who started there and um he became the director of uh, gargoyles yeah, I was going to say Gargoyles. I He's a huge Gargoyle fan. Huge yeah. Gargoyles fan. There are a lot of us who, who kind of like went out and that's how we got started directing in other shows. But yeah, we all started at, kind of like we all started at Filmation. I and love that. Um, even though I could, didn't work on He-Man, the TV show, at least I got a chance to work on He-Man. Yeah. Got the to dip a toe. Yeah. So the toys were equally as incredible. So I mean, I, I wouldn't know He-Man without the toys. So <laughs> something that we discussed with the, the Leewalds was uh, the streamlining of synergy between your team and Marvel after after the first season of the show. Um, they started to sort of let you guys know about new upcoming stories and characters. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes, um, like with the the title sequence logos, um, designs didn't exist, and you had right. to, you know, you had to come up with something. I think they referenced uh, the external in the the Gambit flashback oh, episode, uh, yes, um, which is an amazing design. Um, amazing. Was there any anyone or anything else that uh, you had to design outright based on a pitch from Marvel? The the externals probably the, is for me was the only character I had to design. 
uh, for the show. I tried not to because there's, there's so many X-Men out there. I mean, mutants out there. Yeah. You know, I don't need to make up new stuff. But I called Marvel, I think, uh, back then. And I asked him, well, who is this? And they said, well, it's not written yet. <laughs> <laughs> and they had no backstory. They had no name, just externals. Like, they, they, they told me they're working on it. I'm going, well, look, I got Friday. I have to get this in production today. <laughs> And if you haven't got anything, I'm just going to run with it. And so I, I went and designed her based upon Gam Gambit being in, you know, from New Orleans. He's kind of Creole. So that's that's where all of that came yeah, from, yeah. the thinking behind it. Yeah. And, um, well, you know, it ended up the, the external in the books was a male. It's like, oh, thanks for letting me know that. <laughs> well, I was going to say it, it, it turns out what you guys did with with the externals and the concept of the externals wound up being a lot more interesting than what that the comics ever ever gave us it was just sort of this long drawn out mystery that never really got solved and you guys actually did something with it so that was <laughs> that, that was Very really true. nice Thank you. why were you guys not allowed to use the brood on your show uh why did you guys have to come up with the the colony instead that might be more of a um of a lee wall question but sure. i think um i know that they thought the original characters were too scary mm. Interesting. And so visually we had to change it because they that original design didn't get through. So hmm. that's why it was modified that into the version that you guys saw. But they thought it was too scary. Now why the name change, I'm not sure. But I know I visually we had to adjust for it. I kind of I kind of thought that it might be because they were too scary, but then when you break it down, like the, the scariest things about, you know, the brood are still there. They still have the sky whale that's their slave. They're still, and you know, yeah. body snatching. So I'm like, I, 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 was, I was just curious. You know, basically we, in order to get around the sensors, you, they have um, their point, you know, they don't like this or they don't like that. So what you do is you're trying to dress just those things, you know, so that um, it'll get past them so you can get stuff in production. You don't want to make a big, big war out of something that something like that, not to cause a lot of waves. Just, OK, let's they've been pretty good with us. They let us let us get, get away with a lot of other, other stuff. So, you know, just compromise and let's keep the keep yeah, the production. They let oh. you kill more. Speaking of killing characters, though, one of the major differences uh, with the Dark Phoenix saga was that you guys kept Jean Grey alive at the end. And I'm curious yeah. what that decision process was like with you and the rest of the team. How did you reach the conclusion that you're going to keep the story like 99% intact, but that ending, you were going to change it. And how did you arrive at that ending? That was out of our hands. That was the, the, the broadcast standards and practices saying you can't keep her dead too long. Yeah. That, that was what was told to us. Because, you know, that, you know the, you can't say people are dead, they're killed. They're, they, there's a whole list of things you can't do on set, Saturday morning kids. And so one of the things was, you know, her not being dead for a long time. And so that's why it happened so quickly. Yeah, we kept everything as close to the books as we could, but we, you know, it would have been perfect we could, if we could have kept her dead for an episode and brought it back another episode, would have been great. but they wouldn't let us do that. You know, the kids for kids, you know, especially after morph, no, you got to bring it back. 
And then my other question would be about the Age of Apocalypse. And, and we know that One Man's Worth inspired Age of Apocalypse because the Lee yeah. Walds and you all were talking with them. And the comic was coming out at the same time. And you have some pretty close designs with Morph, Blink. Uh, just look at the Lee Walds book uh, with, with, with Kitty and Forge and Banshee and Havoc. And we have Morph and Blink in the background of the series. Right. Do, did you and your team design these Age of Apocalypse looks uh, that we that we would eventually get in the comics? Or was it a mutual effort with the X-Men editorial office that they were feeding you these designs? They were feeding us the, the designs uh, once they finalized what they were going to do. The thing is, is that for us to put out a show, uh, it's nine months to do one script from beginning to delivery. Mm -hmm. And so, but it, when they came up with the idea of one man's worth, you're talking almost like a year and a half before you guys, before you guys saw it. Yeah. But uh, Marvel could come out with a book like in two months, three months, it's out there. So we were able to pull from what they designed and put it into the show. I gotcha. So that's it's the way the timeline worked out. And that's kind of what we theorized, but I never, until you explained it right now, I never really understood it. What about that final season? You didn't return for the final season, right? Was your... No, nope, that was my assistant director, uh, uh, Frank Squalacci. He took over directing after I left the series. Uh, I got recruited to do the second season of Fantastic Four because uh, they, didn't, they didn't like the first season. So that's how I got pulled into it. And I told him that if I want to do the second season of FF, I want to do the classic stories. Yeah, I want to go back and pull in Sinister Sentry and, and the Inhumans, um, uh, Dr. Doom stealing Surfer's powers, that, those classic stories from way back when. And so when they said, when I told them, I want to do those and I don't want any top-down interference, when they agreed to that, that's when I switched from X-Men to the Fantastic Four. And, well, we, you know, we my, certainly missed you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> They gave Frank, my friend Frank, a lot of, I'll just say crap. They quickly told him, you can't do that. You can't do what Larry did. <laughs> but it was after I had left that they did that to him. But while I was there, they never said anything. I bought some original, some of the original animation cells from the from the Van Eaton Gallery who, who actually sourced a lot of the material for the book. Right. And one that I bought was a, a group shot from, from that final season that, that you weren't responsible for. And it's just, you, the, that you can tell, especially when you're like looking at the art, like in person, just, I bought some of yours and then I bought that one and the quality just completely drop, drops off. And it's a shame that they, that they didn't allow him to, to do what they, they let you do. Yeah. They, they didn't, they told him you can't do cameos. You can't do this. You can't do that. Yeah. They, they handicapped him with a lot of stuff. Well, you you ran a tight ship, and we love the seasons you worked on. Looking back, was there a story or a character that you wish you could have done but didn't get a chance to do, or for whatever reason it was off the table? Kitty Pride. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there was two stories. One was that I would have liked to have done a story, not a story, but at least a part of a story where Cyclops and his brother Alex find out that they're brothers. Yes! Yes, absolutely! It, 
it's amazing that you say that because uh, you know we've we, we've covered my love for Dazzler and Emma, but my third, my number three, is actually <laughs> Havoc. I I love yeah. Havoc, and we we didn't we didn't get enough of him. Yeah, and we tried to you know we implied it when they were fighting each other. Yeah, that their powers don't affect each other, and you can only do that if you're siblings. Right. So people, fans would know, mm-hmm. like you guys, but the regular public would have question marks right above their heads, you know, going, what, what, what? But that was a story I wish we had had done with, had had um, done. The other one was actually do a Thunderbirds episode to actually yeah. do him in an episode. Um, and, oh, and the other character, which, I mean, I got three of them, but it's like doing another, bring Ms. Marvel, the version, our version of Ms. Marvel back. Yeah. Into yeah. The show and have her confront Rogue, you know. I have to say, I y'all's Ms. Marvel episode uh, is so good, so good. I have uh, shown it to so many people, so many of my friends who saw the Captain Marvel, because of course she is now Captain Marvel, who saw that movie, and I was like, okay, but wait, you need to watch this because this is her first. <laughs> That's where she was. This is her first thing. You need to watch this. Yeah. And they all loved it. They all loved it. I had a, I had a heavy hand in, in in that episode because I wanted to make sure her story was done right. Yeah. And, a lot of the action uh, sequences, like the guys would draw storyboards for me and I'd get it back and I'd be looking at it going, this is pedestrian. I had to redraw a lot of the action sequences uh, to make it work. Like, especially the one where they're at the end where they're fighting in her mind and Jean Grey's like a giant trying to talk to him. <laughs> that, that was all me. I re-storyboarded all that. Or things like when Rogue, goes through the roof of the entire mansion to get out. That was something I made up because the writer just had her fly through a window. I went, yeah, well, that's kind of boring. <laughs> so there, there are things I did to try and enhance the visual on that. I mean, the writing was excellent. You know, it was done by uh, Bob Robert Skier, I think. And um, that was a really, really good episode. It was a great okay. episode. It was great. I, I do. I have one since we're, we got off on a little uh, Ms. Marvel tangent. I have uh, <laughs> one more and more because she's she's my favorite. Oh, she's one of your character. favorite shows. <laughs> um, so we're covering all the bases here. But what do you make of her modern suit, the suit that they put her in in the movie? Because I, I, I know how inappropriate her bathing suit costume is. But man, I, I love that look. I I. I figured the, the costume she has now is like, okay, it's for a different audience. It's not, it's not my cup of tea, but it's, it's what, I guess, you know, it's what they want her to look like today. Yeah. yeah. I, it's not what I would have. I prefer the old one. I know the baby, like you, I know the bathing suit is not, not a good thing right now, but I like it. It was such it's a great so design. Simple and nice. I just, yeah. I, I love with that lightning bolt. It's, it's perfection. That costume was so easy to animate. It's just, a, you know, the yeah. lightning and the bathing suit and the sash. Yeah. That's it. I mean, it's, it. it's so a character like that, you can do full animation on her because there's not a lot to, uh, to worry about. I have one final question about the series that I've always wondered about. So we know that Cable eventually became Jean Grey and Cyclops's son. And Jean reads Cable's mind and discovers this, and she sees an image of Cyclops, Cable, and then a redheaded woman. And we know Madeline Pryor is Cable's son. So my question, we've had so many people ask this, was that intentionally vague? Was it supposed to be Jean or was it supposed to be Madeline? 
I drew that that image, and um, it was deliberate, a deliberate hint <laughs> at things to come. Yes, because I drew that in to the show. Love it. You heard that right here. We that maybe Madeline Pryor her animated yes. series debut. Yes, I, I oh. put that in on purpose, and we and luckily the dialogue was vague enough that. They didn't answer questions, but visually you're going, what's that? I love that. I love no. that. Shockingly, here I go again. I'm <laughs> a huge Madeline Pryor fan. So that, that Easter egg is absolutely perfect for me. Larry, our followers are going to go nuts with this. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> they are going to go nuts with this. We have a lot of Madeline Pryor fans. You just you just broke the X-Men community right now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just tried to hint at stuff and just say, okay, well, Eventually, maybe in season six or seven or five, we could explore this. But I just, it's kind of like what it is. It's like, I like to put like breadcrumbs that the writers can can run with later on by setting up stuff. Uh, I think there was one where they went into Gambit's memory and you see Ghost Rider. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. And um, I think eventually he did show up in one of the X-Men books with gambit yeah but i wanted to hint that hint at it in the show little breadcrumbs and um so that's one of the nice things about the show was that eric and i and the writers were all on the same page and once they gave me an idea of where they were going with the show i could drop breadcrumbs visual breadcrumbs along the way to try and hint at where we were going in the future um because i think also we put a in that memory, we put a uh, Belladonna was in there. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. that was that wasn't coming out till next year, the following season. Oh wow! So I yeah. that, that was another little breadcrumb that I dropped in there to try and set stuff up for another 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 uh, season. Oh well, we loved it. We loved those breadcrumbs absolutely. Um, so <laughs> as you can as we, see, we uh, ate them all. <laughs> oh yeah, we <laughs> ate those breadcrumbs up. We're asking we are you satisfied. about them like, like twenty eight years later. We're still talking about. <laughs> Um, so you guys, like, are sharp. You guys we... are sharp. You guys, you guys found those things. I, those are things that only fans could find. Oh yeah. Oh, I mean, we have spent some time <laughs> just Larry, watching, analyzing, discussing. You made our childhood. You don't understand. Flink and I were the kids on the playground who didn't fit in, and you created this universe for us that we felt like we fit it in, and it it was a very real experience for us. So yeah. thank you. Oh, you're welcome. No, I... I was that kid too, growing up, you know. Who's that who's that strange boy reading comic books over there? <laughs> yeah. yeah, same. You know, I was the odd man out too. So actually, as we, we mentioned a little bit earlier, you, you did move on from X-Men to Fantastic Four to save the Fantastic Four uh, animated series, as it were. Um, it did have a pretty rough start in its first season. I did just rewatch the whole thing um, on Disney Plus. I mean, yeah, the, the second, what you said earlier about bringing in that classic FF stuff, like it's all there uh, in that second season and it's a much, yeah. much improved show. But um, unfortunately, you know, it, it, it wasn't enough to, to save it. Um, why do you think Fantastic Four wasn't as successful as X-Men? I think the fact that, well, we, you, you, uh, you had a first season that wasn't... Um, faithful to the books yeah um and you also you know they didn't have the lee walls and the people who were like 
for the lack of a better term, uh, you didn't have people who were like fanboys for behind the property from the beginning. Um, the one nice thing about the X-Men is that we were all on the same page. And my, you know, myself, Will and Rick were fanboys. We, we yeah. were up that same way. Conversely, uh, Eric and Julia were not fanboys, but they were fans of heroic literature. And, and uh, they knew how to write heroic adventures. But, and, and so we would tell them, you know, the backstory about who's the brother, who's the sister, who's this, who's that. We gave them the, those those tools, and then they were able to craft uh, excellent stories around them, stories about based on um, person uh, their personalities, as opposed to let's go fight this robot over here. It, everything was based upon the person. Um, I'm not saying this correctly, but you know what I'm talking about. Whereas the FF, I don't think they in the first season did. I don't think they had that type of creative staff that understood what they were writing yeah it, it was kind of a lot more generic let's go fight the robot over there definitely um, the yeah and that's not what the x-men was all about they were like you know they're like a huge dysfunctional family that are, they, they they they've come together because the world was coming after them and they're basically they don't go out trying to protect the world they're trying to protect themselves right people coming at them all the time yeah. And so that's, that was one of the main differences between the X-Men and FF. The FF would go out and do stuff sometimes, I mean, in that first season. And I wanted the FF, when I did my, my version of it, to be motivated by something internal to the group, you know, as opposed to, like, when they went out on vacation and then they run into the Sinister Century, when they, they, were, they were trying to go out and have a vacation and yeah. they run into the Cree and stuff like that, you know, adventures like that that's stuff is coming at them instead of them going out patrolling the world like like superman would do and right. stuff like that in one episode of that series we actually had a donald trump cameo <laughs> were you responsible for that <laughs> no i know <laughs> didn't even know who the hell he was back then yeah they were outside. It was some. They were attending some event, and it was literally like outside Trump Tower, and he was there with Ivana, and I was just like, "No!" It took me <laughs> that had that had right to be out of it. No, I would never do anything like that. That had to be the, the first. That had like, to be. It had to be the first season because the first season's the first thirteen episodes, and then I'm doing the second. 13 from yeah. four, episode 14 to 26. I have a question too that you may have no clue or any hand in, but I'm, I'm a dog with the bone on this. And I've asked, I've asked the Leewalds, I've asked Scott Lobdell. No one has been able to give me an answer on this. <laughs> so in 1999, Fox pitched a Generation X animated show. And okay. there is no information out there about it other than it was a pitch. Did you know anything about it? I only knew that it was being pitched. Okay. But that's it. I, I, have, I didn't see any visuals. I, I had no idea what they were doing. But I knew of it, yes. But okay. I feel like some Fox executive at the upfronts just got just went rogue and was like, <laughs> well, we know Generation X comes after X-Men. Let's just say we have it. Well, and the reason why I asked was because we know why I thought you or the Leewalds would know was because we knew originally Beyond Good and Evil was going to be the end of the animated series. 
and right. that Xavier and Jubilee would have gone on to start Generation X, or, you know, I think it was a new team that they said in the book. Right. So I, I was wondering if that would have been like a continuation or if we would have had Banshee and Emma leading a new team. I think more than likely would have been the first thing you said with uh, Jubilee and Professor X, if, if that had come to being, but um, it, it was not, it, it wasn't going to happen. You know what, see part of, part of what, what happens is that um, these are all being produced by Saban, um, but Saban doesn't get any of the Marvel money for toys. Okay. Cause that's in the contract. He gets zip zippo. And so he, he has no, whereas he, owns the Power Rangers, he gets all of that money, all the ancillary money that comes in, the, the costumes, the toys, all that stuff. He gets nothing from the Marvel stuff. He had no incentive of doing anything X if he didn't have a piece of it. Yeah. And so yeah. he, he had no incentive to doing Generation X, Y, whatever. He wanted to get out of the contract. And so that's also a reason why the X-Men changed the look is that he went to a, another studio that was cheaper to pay. Mm. Well, he could get some extra money by skimming it off the top of the production. Oh, we, we know all about those stories and how yeah. even with the, your script writers, he, he, he cut the budget there. And yeah. I, I believe the response was, well, they should be happy to be working on a mega yes. hit show. And that's, that's like, oh man, like every, yeah. even the, some of the Power Ranger actors and Flink would know, uh, have come out and spoken about Saban and how notorious stingy, notoriously oh, stingy he is. He's terrible. He was awful. And he, he did that all the time. Oh. Just cut budgets, you know. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. You could talk to anybody from that era. <laughs> same story. Horror stories. I feel like the animated show is having a minute now like and obviously because it's on disney plus they yeah. have new designs up for the that team uh in the disney plus icons and on the disney store i'm curious what do you think an x-men animated show that you would do would you would you come back to it if you were given the opportunity and what would it look like if you came back to it i've i've spoken on i think on twitter and some other places that i'm semi-retired but if they called me to say, hey, we want to do, a, we want to do another season of X-Men or we want to do a special or, you know, anything continuing where we left off, I would, that's the one show I would unretire and work yes. on. Yes. Make yeah. it happen, Disney. Please, yeah. Disney. Have you heard if a revival is coming for the show? Well, we've heard nothing. So we're kind of like the same place you are. It's like we, we have... Uh, yeah, no information. Well, you know, we, it, it's clearly a huge try. hit for them. Otherwise, they wouldn't have, you know, authorized new new imagery with with y'all's cast of characters specifically for Disney Plus. So I'm I'm really hoping somebody picks up, realizes what they have, and picks up the phone and and calls you guys because that would be something not not just special for for you know us longtime fans, but the new fans who have found it through their, their parents who are our age, introducing yeah. them to it. And they love uh, it. Everyone loves it. Yeah, it, it's, it's got a second renaissance. Now that Disney Plus has put it out there. And we would be more than willing to, to pick up where we left off and um, try and do, uh, like, see, like at, at, at um, Warner Brothers, uh, Bruce Tim and his, his crews were doing, like, 
you know, like little movies once yeah, in a while. Yeah. And it's like, if, you know, we would be really open to something like that. You know, if they didn't want us to do a series, we could get back and at least do another adventure. And, and all the voice actors, except unfortunately for Norm Spencer and um, the guy who did Apocalypse, unfortunately, you know, those two guys passed away, but all the other actors we've talked to, everybody's willing to come back and work on the show. Wow. The, voice, the original, all the original voice actors, all the original writers, myself, all I got to do is just someone, you know, just say, pick up the phone, Disney, Disney, come on. Disney pick up the phone. <laughs> we would love it. We would love it. And those, those Batman movies, those Bruce Tim Batman little movies, those are, those are excellent. Those They're are excellent great. films. So and I know well. y'all would yep. do such a great job in that format. I just want to say that I, that I actually, um, I met you at San Diego Comic-Con um, back in 2018, where you were being honored as a special guest at the convention. Um, and that panel was was awesome. It was it was standing room only, um, and you basically sold out of all your X Men prints on the first day because the demand oh, for your work was just insane. You know, thousands of people in their twenties and thirties, some of them with kids, like I said, now fans as well. How did how did that make you feel? Were you aware that there was still this audience out there, or was it just a huge surprise? It was a big surprise. It was like. Um... I, I, me and the voice actors and everybody, we were like totally impressed by so many people coming up and, and, and liking the show, remembering the show and yeah. getting autographs and talking to us. And it's like, no, it caught me, you know, off guard. It's like, wow, <laughs> they really remember the show. They liked the show. And then, oh, yeah. and there were like hundreds of dozens of people, hundreds of dozens. Of oh, somebody. hundreds. It was Talked hundreds. Don't sell yourself short. You know, uh, it, you know, you got to go back like between when the show ended until about maybe 2018, 16. Uh, we were pretty much under the radar, I thought, of people knowing or remembering the show at all. And it wasn't until when Disney Plus picked up on it, suddenly it was like on the radar and it was their number one show for I think still, I think we're equal to Mandalorian, I think. Yeah, yeah. I'm not surprised. I, no one is surprised by that because you gave us such a great series. And it's, I, I don't even know how to articulate to you the lessons, the inspiration that you packaged in those episodes that made us the men we are today. And the yeah. way we approach problems, the way we understand what it means to be marginalized, the way we understand stories is all about, it's the work you did. So. Uh. Thank you. Thank you for oh. all your hard work. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. We had, a, like I said, the, the writer, we had excellent, I had excellent writers I was working with. So I was able to craft the best visual that really, you know, put the best spin on what they were trying to do. But also the fact that the writers, instead of write, they always wanted us to write down the kids. And I'm going, no, you write up the kids. Yeah. You know, they, they will initially pick up on the um, laser beams or the explosions. But when they saw it on the reruns, they'll catch more of the adult subtext as they watch it, you know, with more knowledge and more awareness. Yeah. And that's what we were always trying to do. We were trying to write up so that, it, you know, it would be something that would that would last a long time. And um, it was we were writing for ourselves. Part of it, you know, we were like what we were like in our 30s. And yeah. so like, yeah, we're going to we're writing to that level. We don't want to write Scooby-Doo and and uh, <laughs> super friends. No, we didn't want to do that. No, no, no. 
in the oh. opening credits, Jubilee is being chased by a mob. A teenage girl is being chased by a mob that wants to destroy her. It's you know what I mean that that shapes your perspective right. growing up. I'm sorry, I, I can go on and on, but Larry, <laughs> we could do this all day. <laughs> we, I could talk to you for like for all night and all day. Um, thank you. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, you've been so generous with your time, and 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 as I, we we've said repeatedly, we could we could really do this all day, but we're not gonna, we're not gonna do that to you. You've, you've <laughs> answered, we could come up with a million more questions, but you've already answered the million that we already have. So where can fans find you, Larry? Instagram, I'm LarryTunes54. My website is Larry-Houston.com. You know, if someone wants to have a question, they can either Instagram it or, um, Go to the website and it'll forward the mail to me. Thank you for joining us, Larry. As always, I am the uncanny Dayspring. And I am the adjectiveless Flinkman. And we'll see you all next week. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye.